Morning, everyone. Really exciting to be navigating this new season of how we all connect with God in the up, in and out, and particularly with others in our households, other households, journeying this life of faith together. And today we're coming to the end. We've come to the end of our devoted church series over the summer. If you were away or missed any of them, I'd really recommend that you find them. Everything's online. The introductory pieces sometimes of the live stream have a, have a prophetic edge so that, and the directional edge, so it's great to catch up on those. And then there's amazing worship that you can listen to whenever you like online. In the past, we only recorded talks, but now we're recording the worship too. And then those talks, which are very... Uh, dialogue-based, conversational with the with the Hope community that you can also catch up on. And that's really from that passage, Acts 2, 42 to 47, which some of you now will be looking at with your children and with friends and family in your households. And we're going to transition next week to the life of faith. There's this stunning image of a pathway through a desert and we'll be moving into a season where we look at the, the nature of our life of faith, which is it is dynamic, not static. We're moving somewhere. Jesus invited us to follow him and he's going somewhere on an adventure and a follower of Jesus gets to encounter that adventure together with other people. So this is a transition week. It's really the end of devoted church, but it's also framing this context within which we're now living, where it is very challenging to gather as we were gathering in the past, particularly having lots of children at Hope and particularly having an emphasis on song worship. It's very challenging to do that in this current season. And looking at how we can frame, bring a perspective on what is church, which will empower us in this season, despite those restrictions, to see what we can do and what God is doing, rather than what we feel we can't do in the life of faith, the adventure of faith, which is following Jesus 24-7. So we're going to look at that big question, what is church? There are so many answers to that question Millions of books have been written. We can't even begin to do it justice today. So I'm just going to look at one word and dig a bit bit into the context of that. I love the other week Yvonne asked, how do we know context? Context is so important. The every writer of the Bible, the 40 or so authors, were people who lived in a time and place inspired by God who is beyond time and place and transcendent. But the incarnation is such that he, he works with people in time and place. So context is so rich, so important. I often get lots of fresh revelation when I understand the context within which something was written. Now, the word that we translate in, in versions like the NIV, which I use, For my own Bible, it's a a relatively normal English translation. Church is translated 114 times in the New Testament. However, it's only used twice in the Gospels, which are the biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, and only actually in Matthew. Mark, Luke and John do not use words which the writers translate in the English language as church. It is used twice by Jesus in a passage in Matthew 16 and Matthew 18. And this word, this Greek word, is Ecclesia, and it is that that we're going to look at today, and that is also translated another 112 times in Acts and Paul's letters and the other letters, but only twice in all of the Gospels, twice in Matthew, is this word Ecclesia used, which the writer Matthew translates from the common Greek, Koine Greek, into the word church. So I'm going to read those two passages and dig a, a bit into the context of what that word would have meant 
to his first century hearers and therefore what it might mean for us now in the 21st century. So the first place that Jesus mentions this word, Matthew 16, quick aside, we don't know what language Jesus preached in. We we know he did use words of Aramaic. We also know because he was brought up in the building industry and there was a massive Hellenistic Greek influence in his region in Galilee that he would have known marketplace Greek. So he could have been preaching either. He could have used this word, Ecclesia, in his talks. He may have used Aramaic and Matthew might have translated it. Either way, the word Ecclesia in the Greek is given to Jesus in these two occasions and we're going to be looking at those passages and the meaning. Matthew 16, verse 17 to 20. Peter has just had a revelation of who Jesus is. You are the Messiah, the Mashiach, the anointed one, the son of the living God. And Jesus responds with these extraordinary words, blessed are you, Simon, This was not revealed to you by human thinking, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, I will build my ecclesia, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So that's Matthew 16, the first time the word which we now translate as church is used in the gospel only twice and we're going to go to the second passage now I will build my ecclesia and the next one just a couple of chapters later Matthew 18 Matthew is reading primarily writing primarily for a for a Jewish audience to understand that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah if your brother or sister sins which means they have a habitual destructive pattern in their life which is undermining your relationship, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If it's breaking the relationship, we as hope operate like this, we go to the person, we don't talk about the person, we talk to the person. We seek to, in the words of Guy and Tanya, build bridges with the person. If they listen to you, you've won them over, which means they've had a mindset, a change of mindset, a repentance about that way of life, and they don't want to live in it anymore. And your unity is strong and deep, and they are also walking in fresh freedom. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Here, for our Jewish readership, he's going right back to the Torah, particularly Numbers and Deuteronomy, the last two books of the first five books in the Bible, the bedrock of Jewish thinking and faith, where it it is said a number of times that an accusation, for example, of a crime can only be confirmed by two or three witnesses. One witness isn't sufficient. I'm just going to read one because it's really important we understand this idea of the two or three witnesses in Jewish scriptures. So I'm going to go to one example now, Deuteronomy 19, verse 15. This is the fifth book in the Bible, most quoted by Jesus and the summation, if you like, of the law, the Torah, for Jewish people, particularly in first century Judaism at the time of Jesus. Deuteronomy 19, verse 15. One witness is not enough to convict anyone accused of any crime or offence they may have committed. A matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. So this is what Jesus is referring to. There's a destructive sin pattern in the community of faith, and he's saying, go to the person individually. If they aren't won over, then you need two or three witnesses. At this point, 
you're, you're saying actually this is serious and this person isn't acknowledging it, but one other person isn't enough. You need two or three of you all together to establish there is a destructive sin pattern that needs to be dealt with because it is becoming now toxic in the community. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church, the ecclesia. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, the ecclesia, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. So for the Jewish community, treat them as a Gentile, as an unclean. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you, and coming back to this idea in Jewish thinking of the two or three as witnesses, if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. So I want to draw on the Jewish context that Jesus was speaking into, but also the Greek context of this word ecclesia and touch on the Roman context and have us understand a bit more about what the church is, what this ecclesia is. So the first very well known understanding of the ecclesia and a great resource for more visual learners is TED Ed. They do TED Talks, do visual animations of different ideas in the present and in history. If you do TED Ed, Ecclesia, or Democracy, or the Athenian city-state, you'll get a brilliant synopsis, a nine-minute video, animation video, on what contributed to how the ancient Greeks ran their city-state, and particularly Athens, including this idea of Ecclesia. So Ecclesia is the assembly of citizens in the democratic city-states of ancient Greece. If you were over 18, if you were a man, if you were from Athens, not a foreigner, and you weren't a slave, then you not only had the privilege, but actually you were duty-bound, you were obligated to contribute towards the leadership of the city. And these, this, this role would include declaring war, contributing to military strategy, electing city officials calling leadership to account, writing and revising laws. Of a city, Athens was a very, very um, brilliant example of this in the ancient world, in, in ancient Greece, and there were about 60 to 100,000 citizens, and you needed a quorum of 6,000 Athenians to contribute to this decision-making process. This, this was the ecclesia. There were three different pillars of governance, and the ecclesia was one of them. It was the roots of demos, kratia, demos being people, kratia being power, the roots of modern democracy. This was the way decisions were made in ancient Greece in the city-states. It was a sovereign governing body. It was taken very seriously, and you were taken seriously and invited to contribute. There needed to be a quorum, a minimum of 6,000 of such citizens to make decisions. So it was a powerful body in these city-states. Because Greek culture was so powerful and so influential, those the Jewish diaspora, those who had not returned from Exile. We remember we learnt about the rebuilding of the walls under Nehemiah and Ezra. They took some, some Jewish people back from exile under Babylon, 
uh, encouraged by the Persian leadership and, and, and thousands returned to Jerusalem and the region. They rebuilt the walls as we learnt about in our teaching series on Nehemiah and under Ezra re-established worship in the temple and under Zerubbabel rebuilt the temple in three waves of return. However, many were dispersed across the Persian Empire and when that capitulated to Greece and Greece remained, became the dominant empire there was a diaspora, a dispersion of Jewish communities across the Greek Empire, which remained right through to Jesus' time in the Roman Empire. And during that time between Persia and Greece, Jewish communities, if there were ten or more, would establish synagogues, meeting places, and they would meet scattered across the empire. And what was fascinating about that period was Greek became such a, a lingua franca, if you like, of the Greek Empire that... 70 or so scholars translate the Hebrew Bible, our Old Testament, for the first time, and they translate it into ancient Greek. This is a a really, really important to our understanding of New Testament thinking and also first century Judaism. Most Jewish communities outside Jerusalem, Judea and Galilee, where Jesus and the first disciples were, their main primary scriptures would have been in ancient Greek. And that is now our earliest manuscripts are actually the ancient Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible in terms of original manuscripts. Very, very important in 250 BC. Now, in the Hebrew Bible, the words, this word kahal, which, which was translated as congregation, assembly, gathering, about the people coming together, for example, on the plains of Sinai under Moses when the law, the, tab, um, the, the Ten Commandments were given. And the translators of the Greek Septuagint gave this word gathering, assembly, congregation, ecclesia. They used that word in the translation. So you come to first century Judaism, you come to Jesus, you come to Jesus using this word, and they would have two very interesting cultural resonances for them. One would be the Athenian city-state, the elected body of anyone who was a man over 18, not a slave, who could contribute to the leadership of Athens, and you also had this religious connotation. It was a gathering, it was an assembly of people. And what's really interesting is Jesus could easily have said from the the Jewish perspective, I will build my temple. The temple was extraordinary. Herod the Great's temple, of which the foundation still remains now, it's the Western Wall that devout Jews go to worship still today in Jerusalem and, and bring their prayers there. Herod the Great's temple was incredible. It would attract hundreds of thousands of uh, devote worshippers from across the diaspora at great pilgrim festivals like Passover. And if Jesus had said, I, I will build my temple, people would be, yes, you are. You're building your temple. It's a massive focal point. He also could have said, I will build my synagogue, which is simply the Greek for meeting place or meeting house. They were scattered across the, the world. They were the centre focus of Jewish communal life, their worship, also their education and their social life. But interestingly, he didn't say that. He said, I will build my ecclesia. Essentially, I will build people. Buildings are useful because they keep people protected in bad and adverse weather. But essentially, what he's building is not a building, it's a people. So the Jewish thinker 
in the first century when he uses the word ecclesia, their ancient Hebrew translated into the Greek ecclesia would have been gatherings, assemblies, people. That's what would have come to their mind. But also in the Greco-Roman context, what would have come to their mind is everyone is empowered to bring decisions in the Athenian city-state, in the leadership of these city-states in ancient Greece, of which Athens was one. Now, there's, there's lots of source material around those two, around the Hebrew understanding of, of the Greek translation Ecclesia and around Ecclesia as part of the governing, governance of these city-states. I personally love to get at least three sources, whether published or online, on cultural context and historical context, a bit like if you're getting a building quote. You can get one, but it's wiser to get three because you get a more well-rounded understanding or feel for for, for the perspective, for that aspect of history, because every historian brings their perspective. And I've only got one source for this, but I'm going to say it anyway, so I was a bit hesitant about this. I'm going to say it anyway, because I think it kind of ties together this idea of a people with authority. So this is a, a, an inspirational book by Ed Silvozo. He writes the word Ecclesia. He's taking on this idea of the church as a, as a mobilised governing body in the heavenly realms, bringing transformation on earth as it is in heaven. And he's got some great stories through this book. I'd recommend you to read it. Inspirational stories of different places around the world, from Manila in the Philippines to drug cartels in Mexico, where, where the Ecclesia, the body of believers have gone in and just just even a few of them and just seeing extraordinary transformation of whole districts and whole communities as they, they come under the governance of Jesus. Really inspiring. Anyway, he quotes a historian, and again, I haven't been able to find more sources on this because this historian he quotes writes 100 years ago, so his book's quite old. But he talks about the, expand, the, the days when the Roman Empire was expanding the Greek and Roman versions of the Ecclesia appeared in different forms and sizes, all of which are relevant to the subject at hand. But one format is especially notable, the Conventus Civium Romanorum, or Conventus for short, we get the words convention, convene, meeting from that word, Conventus. According to Sir William Ramsey, so this, this was the original uh, historian, when a group of Roman citizens, as small as two or three, gathered anywhere in the world, it constituted the conventus as a local expression of Rome. Even though geography separated them from the capital of the empire and the emperor, their coming together as fellow citizens automatically brought the power and presence of Rome into their midst. This was indeed the Roman Ecclesia in a microcosm. And what this does is draws on, as I've said, already what Jesus was establishing from what he was reminding everyone from their Hebrew background, that everything can be established by two or three witnesses. And if this really is the case in the, in the, under Caesar and the, the Augustus, this period in Roman history, that two or three could command the power and presence of Rome then that really dovetails neatly with this idea of two or three witnesses coming into agreement and producing then Jesus' new understanding 
of the Ecclesia, that literally two or three gathered have the power and presence of heaven. All the resources of God on their side to establish the good governance of God on earth as as it is in heaven. And it feels like that's what these passages are saying. With the Ecclesia in mind, with what I've just explained in mind, I'm going to read those two passages again and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to us the power that we have in God, even though we can't meet in the same way that we usually meet or have done in the past. I would say from the Jewish perspective, the Ecclesia, the use of the word Ecclesia is is making a definite statement, this is about people, I will build people. From the Greek perspective, the Athenian city-states, they have authority. These people have authority. I've given them authority to bind and loose, to come into agreement with what heaven looks like and release that on earth. And from a Roman perspective, you only need two or three people gathered together to achieve that and establish that. These are massive statements with massive implications. And for us now, in our current context, incredibly empowering. Two or three gathered together are the ecclesia of God, enabling his good governance to extend on earth as it is in heaven. The alignment of God's good design his governance in every area of life coming simply through the agreement of two or three gathered two or three households that's why we're speaking in this today some of you will be already gathered now and two or three coming together hearing this some of you will connect over the next week but we would love every single person in hope to know they're now gathered in twos or threes because the power that can be unleashed through that is the extension of God's good governance on earth that is in heaven. We can access resources when, t- when we're in agreement with two or three that we simply don't access in the same way on our own because we live in the image of a Trinitarian God who operates two or three in agreement and we're designed to bear his image in the way we exercise his authority. So I'm going to read these passages again. We're a people, we have authority and we can extend the kingdom and it feels like he was drawing from the ancient Greek worldview and and ancient Greek practice in the city-states, from the Hebrew scriptures and from the Roman context, that we, in agreement, have all the power and the resources and the backing of heaven behind us when we agree on anything on earth. It will be done for us. Matthew 16. Blessed are you, Simon. This was not revealed to you by human thinking but by my father in heaven and I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my ecclesia my church my authorised people to extend the good governance of God on earth as it is in heaven and the gates of Hades will not overcome it the gates of the city in the ancient world were deep were on the defensive and the church here the ecclesia of God is on the offensive What was Hades? Simply any lines that set themselves up against the knowledge of God, manifesting in individuals, in cultures, in communities, in nations, in the nations. So the design of the Ecclesia is to make war on lies and replace it with truth that liberates us. The truth that we're loved, that God is good, that there is purpose and significance to our lives and that we can can change the world and make the world a better place. And so in the name of Jesus, in agreement, 
we are on the offensive. We are not a, a defensive people. We're designed to be on the offensive. The gates of Hades is on the defensive. We are on the offensive. I will build my ecclesia. I will build people of authority. And the gates of Hades, the lies, all the demonic strongholds, locally, nationally, internationally, in history, will not overcome this. Will not be able to stand, withstand the movement, the fierce movement forwards in the authority of Christ, of the people of God. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then for us particularly, the second passage building on that, but revealing the core in the kingdom is not 6,000, as in the Athenian city-state. It's two or three, as in the Hebrew scriptures, as in the Roman administration. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen... Take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them. By my Father in heaven, for where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. We've had a few pictures or images come to our attention over the last week or so. One of them, Guy West, received the West when they host the 6 till 7 a.m. prayer slot in one church one day had a picture of a dandelion now a dandelion is is obviously a very beautiful fragile plant and the way dandelions multiply is when the wind blows on blows on those seeds they are blown and each one then is seeded and produces hundredfold new growth and we had a sense they had a sense and i think it resonated with many of us that the spirit was blowing on the church at this point and, and, and scattering seeds for the multiplication of the church very gently, very graciously, very kindly and for, for, the, for the outcome of multiplication and then Bill Johnson did a talk recently which I, it was a great image of salt how we're supposed to use salt and sometimes how the church who is the, the, are the, we are the salt of the earth according to Jesus have sometimes we distort it and don't quite use it in the right way and he said sometimes church opens the salt cellar just pours out a pile of salt and it just sits there in a pile and that's a really inappropriate use of salt it's actually quite dangerous having that much salt together not doing anything else but the design of the salt is to be a bit of it to be pinched and scattered over the whole plate of food and in doing so it draws out the flavor of the food and makes it taste delicious and that's who we are we're the salt of the earth And we're designed to be scattered on the earth to draw out the flavour of God's good governance, God's good kingdom, God's nature and image in this world. So we're really encouraging people to understand 
What is church? Church is many things. There are so many metaphors for church in the New Testament. The overriding one, which frames everything else, is family. God is our father and we're brothers and sisters. Christ is, is the bridegroom, we are the bride. We're, the church is the mother and we have many children. Older men and women are like fathers and mothers, younger Believers are like children in the faith. That is the overriding, those images of intimacy, familiarity. And that always frames everything because those are best navigated through love. Love marks those images. But within that, there is also this potent word, ecclesia. For those Greek citizens of Athens, it was the ecclesia who declared war. It was the ecclesia who contributed to military strategy, who wrote and revised laws, who called leadership to account, called things into the light. And for us in Christ, according to Paul's teachings in Galatians, you can look it up, doesn't now have to be a man over the age of 18 who's not a slave. But he says very specifically speaking into that. In Christ, there is no male or female, so everyone can contribute to the leadership. There is no slave or free. There is no divide there. Everyone can contribute to leadership and governance. And there are no national ethnic boundaries. Everyone's included in this invitation to govern on earth as it is in heaven in the name of Jesus. So I bless us now in our twos and threes in our households as we gather to understand the resources, the power and the authority at our disposal where two or three come in agreement. I want us to understand how powerful we are in this situation, not how powerless. To come through this season having learnt the power of two or three in agreement and the extension of God's good governance on earth as it is in heaven. Thanks, Alice. And um, so we'll, we'll come into land and finish there. And if you're with others, uh, maybe you're on your own, maybe you're with others, you, you know, actually either, either, either way you could pray. And I think that we, we prayed at the beginning to me about that, that, that the mountains being moved. And Jesus said that we have authority to command mountains to be, mo- be moved in prayer. And uh, Alice was really saying something very similar wasn't she about the authority of, of the church and so why not um, when we finish this live stream have a, have a, have a little bit of time to pray and, um, and, and exercise that authority that is ours in Christ you know we're, we're called aren't we to be salt um, in, our, in our communities in our workplaces in our schools kids are back at school and, um, and uh, let, let's pray for each other to, to be that salt that, that brings the life and the light and the goodness of God of Jesus and his kingdom into each of those settings where we find ourselves. That would be a great way to, to, um, to pray. I think we're going to close there now. Anything else to say, friends? Um, no. Great. I think we're done. It's really good to be with you. Um, and again, if you're, uh, if, you're, if, you, if, you know, if you're keen to connect with another household but you're not sure how to, I, I was thinking maybe a, a good general approach would be if everyone in Hope was to initiate. You might be thinking, actually, I'm on my own. Um, I'm waiting for someone to ask me. I, I think the invitation that is ours is just is to be bold and, and put yourself out there. So I mean, that's, it's, it's a hard thing to organise some of this and say maybe if we all take initiative and we all look to initiate, um, 
then we will find ways of connecting like that. And don't forget, you could, you know, our friend Zoom and things like WhatsApp videos and all those other things. And people can go for walks. People can, you know, meet in different settings. Um, and do let us know. Let us know how it's going. We want to um, obviously um, support us as a church as we move through this. But really making the most of this opportunity to to grow in, in, in who we are and our knowledge of God at this time. Great. See you soon. Yep. Yeah. Bye. Bye.